Thank you for joining us in worship. And if you are in our overflow room, uh, we want to welcome you as well, as well as those of you, you who are joining us online right now. If you have been at Northway Church uh, for a good long time, you may remember that uh, Katie and I, before we came here in 2007, that we lived for a year in Rome, Italy. Uh, we were serving with the International Mission Board working with college students uh, in that particular city. And so in 2006, uh, just a year after we were married, uh, we packed a few suitcases and we headed to Rome. Now, if people went as career missionaries, they were allowed to pack crates. Um, they were allowed to have a, a furnishing allowance so that when they got there, they could buy furniture for their apartment. We were only going as short-term missionaries, and because of that, uh, we were given a furnished apartment. The team leader secured this for us, and so the first time we saw our apartment was when we got to Rome. <clears throat> it was very small, 600 square feet, maybe, one bedroom, one bath. Uh, in fact, the bedroom didn't have a closet. Instead, it had a closet system. It was some kind of heavy plastic. Um, it, it was made out of like a melamine. And when we got there, it was covered in dust. We spent a full afternoon just cleaning all this mold and dust out of these apartments. As you can tell, we also, uh, out of these closets, as you can tell, we did not have towel racks there. So the closet doors were our towel racks. It had a tiny, tiny little European kitchen. Um, small refrigerator, very small stove very small oven on the other side you cannot see it but it actually had a very small washing machine that in that wash machine you could fit exactly one outfit that was it you washed one outfit at a time we did not have a clothes dryer there was no clothes dryer in the apartment which meant we had to hang everything to dry, which meant we had to hang all of our towels to dry, which meant every time I got out of the shower, there was a stiff, scratchy towel waiting on me that felt like sandpaper going across my back. I have never appreciated so much the fluffiness that dryers bring to towels as when we came back to the United States after living there. There was also a bedroom. You can see a nice orange comforter on the bed. Uh, you, uh, what you cannot see is that the mattress was exactly two inches thick and there were no box springs. Uh, this rested on plywood. Um, and also in the den, it had uh, artwork and knickknacks that you would call eclectic, kind of cluttered, not really our taste at all. Um, I had a sofa. If you can see, there is a green blanket on the sofa. That is because one of the sofas was torn and the stuffing was coming out of the sofa. And so we had to use the blanket to cover it because the stuffing was coming out of it. Needless to say, this was not the apartment that we would have chosen. This was not what we would have said, okay, this is it. This is what we want. This is our style. This is our taste. This is what we would have picked. Now, we could have changed all of that. Uh, there's an Ikea in Rome. There was one then. I assume there's one now. Have you ever been to an Ikea? There's one in Atlanta. If you've never been, you ought to give it a shot. 
Uh, Katie talked me into going one time after we came back home to Atlanta. I spent a month there one afternoon. <laughs> it is a massive home store. If you've never been in it, it is unbelievable. There are arrows to lead you through the store because you will get lost in this massive store. There is even a restaurant at the halfway point because people get tired and get out of energy and have to refuel to continue shopping. The place is unbelievable. And once you go in, it does not seem like you can get out. I've called it the Hotel California. I mean, you can check in anytime you want, but Getting out of there is hard. Well, there's one of those in Rome. We could have gone to Ikea, and we could have purchased new cabinets, new appliances, ones that were more modern, up to our taste. We could have bought a dryer to go in there to dry our clothes. Uh, we, we could have gone and, and bought new furniture. We could have bought new flooring, new lighting that we really liked. We could have bought nice comforter for the bed. We could have bought a thicker mattress. There are all sorts of things we could have bought. And I forgot to mention this. The thing about the apartment that was the worst part about the apartment was that it did not have air conditioning. Rome, climate-wise, is a lot like Macon, Georgia. So during the summer, it was tough without air conditioning. Try going to sleep at night while you're sweating. A lot of fun. We could have paid money to go and have air conditioning installed in this little apartment. We could have done all of those things to the apartment, but we didn't. Why did we not do any of those things? Well, one, because we were poor. We didn't have the money to do it. But secondly, we didn't want to do it even if we had the money because we knew this was a temporary residence. We would be there a year maybe two at the most. We lived there knowing that we had a permanent home back in the United States that we would come to, that we would not be there forever. Here's why I tell you that story. This morning, we are concluding our rule number one series. And our seventh and final essential truth for this series is this. If you are a follower of Christ, then heaven, not earth, is my forever home. If you are a follower of Christ, you have a forever permanent home, but this is not it. Earth is temporary. You have a permanent place to look forward to. You have a forever home to look forward to, but this isn't it. However, that home that you're looking forward to very much affects how you live in this life now. Now, conversely, if this is, not, if this is it, if there is no heaven, if, if this is all there is, if you say, hey, I'm agnostic or I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, I don't believe there's anything that comes after this life, if that's the case, then that very much should affect how you live as well. In fact, I would say if you're listening right now and, and you say, I don't think there is anything after death, if you say this is it, then here's, here's what I would tell you. You need to live by this mantra. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Just, just do whatever you want every day. Whatever you think makes you happy, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow, maybe literally tomorrow, or maybe a number of tomorrows from now, you die. 
I would live by that mantra, or maybe the mantra, he who dies with the most toys wins. If there's nothing after death, get all you can while you can. Just get and get and get and enjoy life. If this is all there is, if there's nothing after death, soak it all in. Get all you can. Matt Bellamy is a British singer and songwriter. He is also an atheist, and and he said this, being an atheist means you have to realize that when you die, that really is it. You've got to make the most of what you've got here and spread as much influence as you can. I believe that you only live through the influence that you spread, whether that means having a kid or making music. Now, I agree with part of what he said. If you're an atheist, then definitely this is really it. When you die, there's nothing else. That's it. And I agree with you've got to make the most of what you've got here. Not sure I agree with the spread as much influence as you can. If this is it, if you die and there's nothing else, what do you care about the influence that you've spread? Why would you even be concerned about that? Get all you can while you can. When you're gone, you're dead, and you don't care about your influence. Well, making music or having a kid, you're dead. You don't care. Do everything you can to get all that you can. And I would advise him, don't have a kid, because that's going to take time and money, time and money that you could spend on yourself getting as many toys as you can and having as much fun as you can. If you're an atheist, if there's nothing that comes after death, then this is the philosophy that you should live by. However, if you're a follower of Christ, we believe very strongly that this is not it, that earth is a temporary residence for us, and that there is a a forever eternal home that awaits called called heaven. And that truth very much affects how we live now. Now, it doesn't mean that we just ignore everything about this world. It doesn't mean that you go crawl in a hole somewhere and you just spend all your time praying, waiting to die to go to your forever home. Even when Katie and I were in in Italy, even though that was not our forever home, we did a few things to the apartment. We cleaned it. We didn't want to live in filth. We did go out and buy a few dishes that that we liked to use while we were living there. We went out and bought a French press because they did not have a coffee maker, and that was the cheapest option to buy. So every morning I would make coffee with a French press. Uh, We actually bought an oscillating fan because it was so hot that we just couldn't survive those nights without a fan. We brought a drying rack so we could dry our clothes. We did buy a few things, but we always lived there with the truth in mind that that was a temporary residence, and we would not be there forever. The passage that Stephen read earlier from Philippians points us to this truth. Paul writes to the church at Philippi about the prize that's waiting for him, this call heavenward, and how living with that call heavenward in view determines so much about his life now. There are three things specifically he mentions in this passage about that truth that we have a forever home in heaven. The first one is this, my forever home determines my values. And when I use the word values here, I mean all-encompassing, how we think 
um, our deepest beliefs, the lens through which you view the world, all of those things, the fact that we have this forever home that is waiting for us determines how we view the world now. Paul writes about this to the Philippians, and he writes this. All of us then who are mature should take a view of things, a view that we are not here forever, that we're, we've got this permanent home waiting. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul here is very clear that our thinking, the way that we view the world, the thinking about issues in this world is determined by the fact that we are followers of Christ and this is not our forever home. If on the issues of the day you think just like the rest of the world, something is wrong. If your views, if the lens through which you view the world is just like the rest of the world, is just like the culture that is around us, something is wrong. Paul is very clear that the gospel, this truth about heaven, changes the way that we think. In the book of Romans, he really emphasizes this point. When you read the book of Romans, what you find is Paul spends the first 11 chapters writing about all these deep theological truths, about who God is, who Jesus is, about the gospel, about the state of man. He begins in chapter 1 by saying that in the gospel there is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Uh, and he says, therefore, the righteous shall live by faith, that we cannot earn salvation on our own. We cannot be religious enough that it is, it is truly by faith. And then in chapter 3, he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He lays out the truth that no one is born righteous. No one is born with a ticket already punched for heaven, that we have all sinned, every person on the planet. And then in chapter 5, he says, yet, but God has demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were sinners, while we were still in our sin, Jesus Christ died for us. And then in chapter 6, he says, and the wages of this sin is death, but the gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then in chapter 8, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who have become followers of Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he even goes on to say that God, once you're in Christ Jesus, works everything, every situation in your life for good, for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Just all these theological truths, one after another, these deep truths about the gospel. And then on chapter, in chapter 12, he makes this turn. It's this hinge point in the book. And here's what he writes. Therefore, therefore, after understanding all of this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, 
pleasing and perfect will. He says when the gospel becomes reality in your life, it transforms how you think. And this has a huge effect on your life. And one of those is this, what he lists. Then you're able to determine God's will for your life. When you're struggling, what do I do? What decision do I make? Which direction do I go? Do I accept this job, not this job? Do I, do I move to this city or this other city? He says, you want to know how you can do that? Then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That way you're thinking as God thinks. And you're understanding how to apply this. When we live with this view that, that heaven is our forever home, it changes how we think in the here and now. That's number one. Number two, my forever home determines my behavior. It determines how I live. It determines my morals. It determines my actions. Here's what Paul wrote. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Let me, let me stop here and say, this appears to be a little arrogant on the surface. Paul is saying, if you want to know how, you're live, how to live your life, just follow my example. If you see anyone who's living how I live, then follow them. Follow my example if you want to know how to live. Here's the reason that Paul wrote that. Not because he thought he was some righteous guy who had everything together and everything figured out. It was because the church in Philippi, when it was established, had no background in what you and I would call the Old Testament. When you read in Acts 16 how this church was established, you see that it was a thoroughly Roman and Greek population in the church. There was Lydia, who was a Greek woman, a wealthy Greek woman, who was one of the first converts. Uh, there was a little slave girl, a Roman slave girl. She was one of the early converts. There was a jailer, the Philippian jailer, who was a Roman soldier. He was one of the converts. And so they weren't sure how they were supposed to live. So Paul goes on after he says this to say this. For as I have often told you before and now, tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So this church was established and Paul and his traveling companions left. And almost immediately there in Philippi, a group of individuals came in who told them, this is how you're supposed to live. If you want to please God, you need to follow the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. You need to follow the Jewish law. These individuals were called Judaizers, and they said, Jesus gets your foot in the door, you get salvation, but if you want to please God, you observe all the festivals, you keep all the customs, all the regulations, eat this food, not that food, wear this, don't wear that, go through this ritual, wash your hands this way. If you want to please God, that's what you need to do. And so earlier in the letter, Paul addressed that group. Then another group came into the church. And this group came into the church and they said, oh, no, no, no. The Judaizers have it all wrong. You remember what Paul said when he was here? Paul said it's all by grace. 
Salvation's by grace alone, through faith. It's not what we do. It's not what we've done. It's not about our righteousness. It's all through grace. Therefore, do what you want. Go have fun. Do whatever you feel like doing, whatever feels good, whatever kind of fleshly desire you have. You just go and you just do it because we're all saved by grace. These individuals were called antinomianist. Antinomian comes from the Greek uh, word that means against the law. They were fully against the law. And they said the law no longer applies to us. We are saved by grace. We can live any way we want to. And so they modeled their lives after the morality of the, of the Roman world that was around them, which was extremely immoral. Here's what Paul says about this group. They live as enemies of the cross of Christ. This was not a reference to the Roman people, to those who were outside of the church, to those who were part of Greek culture, who worshiped Roman gods. This was a reference to Christians in the church who believed that they could live any way they wanted to. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. In other words, their God, who they worship, are their desires. They, they will do whatever feels good, and their glory is in their shame. They are taking glory in their immorality. And Paul here says, you can't do that. The gospel changes how we should live. And our lives should be different from the world around us. And if our lives reflect the culture around us, something is wrong. And this is something that we have seen happen in so many churches in America today. And it's unbelievable to me that these churches have said, we have chosen to walk away from what Scripture says and to adopt the values and morals of the culture around us. And we think that is fine. And they have done this under the umbrella of this word they use all the time, inclusion. It's this nice buzz, buzzword, inclusion. Of course we want to include everybody. Well, everyone is welcome. We're all sinners. We're all um, only saved by grace. Anyone is welcome here, but we're not going to elevate in inclusion to the point that we say, when you come, we will then call what the Bible calls sin okay, just so you'll feel included. There, that is absolutely ridiculous. Why would we do that? The Bible says that stealing is wrong. We've stolen. You've stolen. I've stolen. We're not going to suddenly say, okay, stealing's no longer a sin, so all you thieves, you'll feel welcome here. And you can come in, you can say, yeah, I still steal, but it's okay. I can get around it. I can get away with it. You know, it's, it's no big deal. We're all sinners. We've all messed up. We all need the grace of God, and yet the Word of God is very clear that the gospel changes who we are and how we live. And not just here in this passage. There are so many verses. First John, do not love the world or the things of the world. John didn't say, well, model your, model your behavior after the world. 
really love the behavior of the world and live like that. James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Why would you adopt the values of the world? Why would you adopt the behavior of the world? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Paul didn't write, if anyone's in Christ, he can stay exactly how he was. Continue to live exactly how he was. The old has passed away. The new has come. And then Ephesians, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Those desires of the flesh deceive us. They, they tell us, oh, you'll be happy if you'll just fulfill this desire of the flesh. Paul's saying, no, the gospel calls you and I to something that is different. This view towards heaven changes how we think. It changes our behavior. And then finally, here's the last one. My forever home determines my loyalties. Notice what Paul wrote. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is what is so interesting about this particular uh, sentence that Paul wrote. Our citizenship is in heaven. Paul wrote this to the church at Philippi. Philippi was arguably the most patriotic city in all of the Roman Empire. In 40 BC, it was established as a refuge for retired Roman soldiers. They were given land. They could go to Philippi. They could settle there. The Praetorian Guard, the secret service for the Roman emperor, when they would retire, he would tell them, go to Philippi. I'll give you land. I'll give you homes there. They were given a retirement in Philippi. And so in that city, you had all these former military officers walking around. They were extremely proud of their Roman citizenship very proud of their service in the Roman military. You'd walk around and on every guy you'd see on his shoulder the, the, the brand SPQR, which was a symbol of, of the people of Rome, the Senate and the people of Rome. It was a symbol that they were a soldier. When they would have Roman holidays, they would have big festivals in Philippi. Whenever they would have some military celebration, the the citizens of Philippi would be the first to come out and cheer. They were proud of their citizenship. And Paul was a Roman citizen as well, and he was thankful for his citizenship. But he knew that citizenship was secondary. That first and foremost, he was a citizen of heaven. And that applies to us today. There will come a day that you take your last breath. There will come a day that I take my last breath on this earth. At that point, my American citizenship will not matter. At that point, the color of my passport will not matter. At that point, my political affiliation will not matter. It will not matter who I voted for in the last election or who I'm going to vote for in the next election. There will be one thing and one thing only that matters. At that point, what will matter is the fact that my citizenship is in heaven. And that is my forever home. And that is the place where I will sing 
my heaven song. 